Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. It is December. <laughs> we have stepped into December, my favorite time of the year. <laughs> Maybe it's just my favorite time of the year, but this is Christmas season is, is the, the most wonderful time, not just because it's a song, because Jesus came. <laughs> Jesus was born. We celebrate the birth of Jesus. Are you all out there this morning? Did you fall asleep on the last song? I, I love the holiday season. I love Christmas season. Celebrating the birth of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Luke chapter 22. We're going to continue this morning in our Advent series. Last week we took a look at the joyous news. I, behold, the angel says, behold, I bring you great tidings of great joy. Good tidings of great joy. Unto you this day is born a Savior. Unto you is born this day a Savior, Jesus Christ, the baby in a manger, the Savior, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Anointed One, Christ, the King, the Lord of Lords. And today we're going to take a look at, as we continue our Advent series, the cross, that Jesus came, this baby of Jesus, this baby Jesus who was born in a manger unto you, this baby Jesus who was born for you came with the purpose of making his way to Calvary. He came with the purpose of the cross. You know, you can't separate the birth in the, in the manger from the cross. You can't separate his birth and his death and his resurrection. He is, he is the conquering king. He is the one who came and died in our place. In John 18, 37, he said, For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world. He came to be born. He came, was born as a man to die on a cross for you and I. In Isaiah 53, verse 2, it says, He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness that we should see in him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He was born without attractiveness. He came to suffer. He was born to suffer. He was born to die. He was born in circumstances to suffer as the king, to suffer as our savior. I want to look today at this suffering savior who came born in a manger, who came to suffer the agony of crucifixion for you and I. I hope that today that by the Holy Spirit that you, would, that you would capture the essence of the agony that Christ endured for you and I. He came, he was born with the nature, with the circumstances to suffer. He was born in a, in a, in a home, he was born out of marriage. His mother and, and stepdad, or Joseph, was not, they weren't married when she got pregnant. And so, of course, there was rumors among the family, rumors among the community about this baby Jesus who was born out of wedlock. Then Herod tried to kill him. If you remember, Herod sent out teams and they were out to kill this baby Jesus. Jesus' half-brothers didn't even understand him. 
James, the, the, the epistle writer, James, the half-brother of Jesus, didn't even get, make a decision about following Christ, didn't even decide that he was truly the Messiah until after the resurrection. He grew up in Nazareth, and you can remember what was said, who could come out of Nazareth, what good could come out of Nazareth. When he began his ministry, Jesus began his ministry and had multiple assassination attempts against his life. His closest betrayed him. His closest swore that he never knew him. This was the beginning of the suffering and the agony of Jesus. And it intensified the older he got. Until someday, until one day, until one day, we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is where we pick up the story in Luke 22 and verse 41. And it says, he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And then his sweat became like drops, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This word agony here means to wrestle or to fight. It was the word that would have been used at that time for the Olympic Games where the competitors would wrestle, they would strive, they would endure with one another to win the race, to win the challenge. In Vincent Word Studies, it signifies, he says, a growing intensity in the struggle, which is not conveyed by the simple being. In our text, it says he was being in agony. But the the Greek here is that it was an increasing intensity of agony, having become in an agony, having progressed from the first prayer, he began in agony, and it began to become intense in a struggle of prayer and sorrow. Wycliffe says this, and he made an agony pray. There was an intense agony that Christ was undergoing here in the garden. What it means is this, is that Christ was in a great and earnest strife. He was in a great and intense strife and conflict. He was in conflict with two regards. One, we see here he was in conflict with the views and the apprehensions that he was receiving of the Father, of his coming, of his coming death, of the coming judgment that was to be upon him. He saw for himself in the garden the crucifixion that was awaiting him. And he was laboring, the Bible says, in agony, in prayer with the Father. Let me set this up for you like this. Jesus goes into the garden with his disciples. He takes his closest three with him and he steps away from them. And he begins to have a conversation with his father. He begins to have a conversation with his father. And I can almost imagine, as it were, if I were there and the father begins to tell his beloved son about the crucifixion he was about to endure. The father begins to lovingly, but brokenheartedly tell his son that you are to endure the cross, the inhumane death and murder, to carry the punishment and the judgment of mankind on yourself. And the father, I can't even begin to imagine as a dad telling, having to have a conversation with Zoe And telling her, I'm about ready to place 
the judgment of every sin that ever was. The judgment of every sin that is in this day. And the judgment of every sin that will ever come on your shoulders. I am about ready to place. And this is the conversation that the Father is having with His Son. I can't imagine the, the agony that was being portrayed in that garden that evening. Every sin, the sin of every lie, every gossiper, every murderer, every child molester, every killer, every sin, I am placing it on you. I am judging the world, the sin of mankind on you. And Jesus, the revelation of that agony, the agony that he saw in his father, the agony that he saw of his father who was having not just to place the sin on him, but when the sin was placed, this loving father, the loving God who loved him indefinitely, the father who loved the son unendingly, the father who had a supernatural, the, the, the supernatural joy between the two of them, this unending joy, this unending love between them. The father would turn his head and not even watch, not even be able to watch the death of his son because of the sin that was placed on him. God could not look at the sin in his holiness. He could not look at the sin that his son would carry on that cross. And the father would turn his head. In Psalms 22 we get a picture of this. David prophesies about it. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, am I not silent? But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Oh God, I see, I see the plan that you've laid out before me, Father. I see, I see the agony that I am to endure. I see the suffering that I am to endure. But I see all the more in the middle of this, your holiness. Oh, what, what a picture that we see of Christ. That, that in the middle of this agony, in the middle of this sin, in the middle of the depravity of man, Jesus still declares the message of the holiness of God. He still sees the holiness of his father. He still sees the uniqueness and the beautiful majesty of splendor of the sinless supreme God, ruler of all things. He says, our fathers trusted in you. They trusted in you, delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. For there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. 
For the dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. This was the agony that Christ was in in the garden. He knew His coming judgment. He knew the cross was before Him. But more than the cross, He saw the agony of the holiness of God and the conflict over humanity. I want to look today at this agony that Christ was under regarding the views of this coming judgment. The views of this coming judgment that Christ was under. What were these views that he was under? In Matthew 20 verse 22, Jesus said, Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink of? He talked to his disciples many times about this cup that he was to drink. This was the cup of agony, the cup of suffering. The cross, yeah, the cross was the, was the principal place of suffering. It was the place of ultimate agony. But here in the garden of Gethsemane, we find Christ enduring the agony of things to come. It was in the garden that God began to open up for Jesus the realities of things that he had only spoken about. You see, in the past, Jesus had told his disciples, he had told many about the coming judgment in Matthew 16. He says, from that time forth, Jesus began to show his disciples how he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. In John 8, he says, and Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father has taught me, I speak all things. So Jesus understood that his purpose in coming to this earth was to die and become the propitiation for many. But it was in the garden that he began to recognize the reality was upon him. It was in moments, it was within hours that Judas would be showing up in the garden with the, with the, with the soldiers to lead Jesus out to be judged. It was within hours that the, the crucifixion, the beating and the torment, the nails being driven into his hands. It was within hours that he would have been wrongly accused and wrongly judged. It was within hours that the nails would be driven into his feet. It would be within hours that his life would have been beaten into just a very, very moment without death, within death. It was just in hours. Within hours, Jesus, the reality the reality of what Christ was about ready to face, the agony of that was upon him. Matthew records three prayers that Jesus prayed during this time. He said, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not I will, but as your will be done. Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Matthew records he prayed a third time, saying the same words. The agony and the pain, the suffering, the crucifixion on the cross was in plain view before Jesus this day. In that garden, he was in agony with his father over the views, over the things, the apprehensions of things to come. This agony was produced by the views of these things. Like the Hebrew children, God led his son to the mouth of the furnace of vengeance 
He saw, as it were, the furnace had been heated seven times. He had smelled the, the, the flames. He felt the heat. He, he smelled the, the flames of judgment towards sin. He looked into the mouth of the furnace of judgment that God had prepared before him. And he was in the garden viewing all of these things that he was about to suffer. And conflict and agony arose within his soul. Agony rose within, within his man. He became distressed. He became distressed and agony broke in upon him. Matthew records that he became sorrowful and very heavy. Mark records that he took with him Peter, James, and John. And he was troubled and deeply distressed. Matthew records that Jesus said, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. And here in our text in Luke 22, it says that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. The word in the Greek for these great drops of blood was clots. It was blood clots. He was under such intense emotional stress. He was under such intense physical stress. That the heaviness, the weight of the agony and the despair and the despondency of Christ began to push the blood out of his pores in clots. And the, the blood, these clots of blood were falling to the ground. They were staining his clothes as he was agonizing in prayer before God. In this... We see the glory of Christ's love for sinners. In this, we see the glory of God's love, of Christ's love for sinners. Christ was overwhelmed by a deluge of grief and agony. But this deluge was the result of the ocean of love that he had for you and I. This deluge of, of grief and agony was a result of the ocean of love that's pouring out for you and I. This love is great enough to cover the mountains and the multitudes of every sin. Yeah, this love is great enough to wash every stain, every sin white as snow. Jesus shed out poured out his blood even as he was in the garden, these clots of blood. It was a manifestation of the love that flowed from his heart. This was, this was his place of agony. It was as if God was saying to his son, here's the judgment that you're going to endure. Here's the wrath that you're going to endure. Here's the furnace of coming judgment. You've tasted, you've seen it here in the garden with me. Now will you step into the judgment? Will you walk into the judgment that I have prepared? Will you step into this? It was the corruption and the wickedness of men that contrived and affected his death. It was the wickedness of men that apprehended him and bound him and led him away. It was the men's corruption and wickedness 
that he was arraigned and falsely accused and unjustly judged. It was by men's wickedness that he was reproached and mocked and spit upon. It was by men's wickedness that Barabbas was preferred over him. It was men's wickedness that laid him on him, laid on him the cross and then nailed him to it and put him to the cruel and inhumane death. It was the wickedness of men and yet Christ in his love for these wicked men endured the cross despising its shame. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Yeah, this is the wonderful nature of Jesus Christ. This is the wonderful nature. This is the wonder-filled, the miraculous nature of Jesus, that he loved me enough. Oh, he loved you enough that he took on human nature. He humbled himself and he took on the form of a man. He humbled himself. He didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he came, endured the cross, and became my propitiation. Yeah, he humbled himself and came. He became manifest among us. This is the, the wonderful nature of God that he manifests himself among us, that God stepped out of his word and became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the wonderful nature of God that he became our mediator that God in flesh came and dwelt among us. He stood between the holiness of God and the depravity of man and said I'll become the propitiation I'll become the just and the justifier. I will restore man into the presence of God. This is the wonderful nature of God that endured the hatred of man. This is the wonderful nature of God that the same God that was beat upon, the same Jesus that was beat upon, that was nailed to the cross, was our Redeemer. He endured it all. Oh yeah, this wonderful love, this wonderful Jesus. He willingly gave up his life. He willingly was raised from the dead. He willingly, freely gives us all things. He willingly is interceding on our behalf at this present time at the right hand of God. Jesus said, nobody takes it from me. I lay it down. I have the power to give it up and I have the power to take it up again. This is the wonderful nature of God. Uh, yeah, I'm reminded of the, the old hymn. It says, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene <laughs> and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and he suffered and died alone. When with the ransom in glory his face I at last shall see, it will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. Oh, how marvelous! Oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me! How marvelous! How wonderful is my Savior's love for me! How mar giving praise, giving praise, Lord, we worship you! How marvelous! How wonderful is your love for me. Hallelujah. 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 Yeah, he chose. Jesus chose. My Jesus chose. Because of this unending love, he chose to take this cup from me. He chose to take this cup. He was outside of town. He was outside of town in the remote parts. 
He could have easily run. He could have easily hid when Judas came. But he didn't. He went out to meet him. He could have called, Jesus said, when, when Peter cut off Malchus's ear, he could have called legion, 60,000, the reference there, 60,000 angels to come and wipe out 500 soldiers. I think, I think he was more than capable. I think he was more than capable of, of not going to the cross, of circumventing this event, circumventing this death. He, he could have allowed his disciples to fight for him. One of my favorite passages of scripture, when these soldiers stood before him, and they asked, we're, we're after Jesus the Christ. And he looks at them with blood-stained clothes. He looks at them with an emaciated body under agony of, of stress of what he's just undergone in the garden. He looks at them. At his weakest point, he looks at them and says, I am he. And when he did, 500 soldiers fell before the presence of the Lord. He could have easily gotten out of this. He could have easily changed the plan. But he went out and he chose to take the cup. He chose to take the cup and to drink of the cup for you and I. In this we see his love. In this we see this glorious love of Jesus for you and I. And we see the glory of his submission to his father. He says, nevertheless, nevertheless not my will, but your will be done. Our first father, Adam, yeah, he couldn't do it. <laughs> he couldn't do it. Adam, don't eat. And what did he do? He ate. He failed miserably. But the second Adam, the final Adam, came for you and I. And he did what flesh was not able to do. He did what, what we and our natural selves could not do. He came and he paid the price for you and I. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That was the life of Jesus. That was the submission of, of Jesus to his father. Thirdly, this agony of Christ should arouse us from our stupor. <laughs> How foolish are sinners who are under the threatening of the same wrath of God and are condemned to it, are at every moment exposed to it. And yet instead of having intense agony over their impending judgment, are unconcerned and they're provoking the wrath of God more and more. Consider the agony of Christ. Consider the agony that he went through. Consider the judgment that Jesus went through. You and I are to be aware of the judgment, the furnace of the wrath of God. Even as Jesus in the garden stood peering in to the furnace of judgment, the heat and the flames and the smell of that fire enveloped him. Even so, you and I ought to be aware of this judgment. Let it arouse us from our stupor. Let it arouse us from our religious mindsets, our religious works. Let us be aware of the judgment that's soon coming on mankind. Judas was a good religious man. He followed Jesus. He even wrote the checks. And still found himself in a place of judgment. Wake yourself. Sinner, awake yourself. Religious, lukewarm, awaken yourself. Let this arouse you out of your stupor. And realize that judgment is coming. And the judgment for the unrighteous 
is nothing. Is nothing. The, the judgment that Christ endured is nothing compared to the judgment on the lost. It differs in this. One, it differs that Christ was not judged by a guilty conscience or condemning conscience. He was pure before God. But those who endure hell's fury will endure it with full knowledge of their guilt and their condemnation. They will be fully aware. The religious will be fully aware of the religiosity that kept them out of the enjoyments of heaven. The things that they heard and yet never experienced are being enjoyed for all eternity by those whom God loved and have called into His heavenly home. But those who are religious will find themselves in the full flame of hell's fury with full recognition that they've missed. You can come to church and have a knowledge that God is good. You can come to church and have a knowledge that God is sweet. You can come and sing the songs. You can dance the dance and let the coin jingle in the coffer. But I'm telling you, it will not save you from eternal judgment. Jesus came and was crucified on a cross. Not that you and I could fulfill our religious checklists and duties. He came that we might have a relationship with Him that was purchased in His blood. Don't take it for granted. Don't take it lightly. Don't take your salvation lightly. And to those of you that are not religious but are in sin... Your heart has been seared. Let me warn you of this. Whether you're present in the service or listening via the internet or or CD, let me tell you. Judgment is coming and you will not escape. I pray that right now that if you're in that place that you would feel the, the flames of hell lapping at your feet. God sent His only Son to bear the punishment of our sin. This is not cute religianity. (laughs) It's messy. It's conflicting with our carnal nature. It challenges our natural mind. And it was meant to. If you are in your sin, when you find yourself Engulfed in the flames of the judgment of hell, you will be fully aware of every guilt and every condemnation that has been assigned to you by your sin and your rejection of Jesus Christ. Jesus felt no torment from inward corruptions and lusts. He was pure. He was righteous. But for those who find themselves within the flames of hell for eternity... Their lustful passions will eat them alive. They will find themselves lusting and envying after the rewards of those who are in heaven. The rewards of those who are enjoying the blessed presence of God. And they find themselves for lack. (laughs) They find themselves enjoying the rewards of their own sin. And their lusts. And their guilts and their sins will find them in hell. 
They will be bound for eternity to the lust and the passions of their own lusts. Christ knew that God infinitely loved him. Christ endured the cross for the hope set before him. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He knew He knew that his father infinitely loved him. His father prepared him in the garden for what was to come. He came with the the mission and the purpose from from divine nature past. He stepped in to manhood. He stepped into created being, into the nature of man with this purpose. And he knew in the middle of it that God loved him infinitely loved him. And yet it is not so with those who will find themselves in eternity in hell. They will find themselves with the reality that God has rejected them and they're under the eternal punishment and judgment of God. God is no longer their God. He is standing as their judge. And they will, they will reap the, the blessing or the curse, should we say, of that sin and that awareness. Christ did not suffer as the wicked do in hell. In hell, those who receive the judgment of God will be for eternally in judgment. Christ knew that this judgment that he was enduring was but just for a moment. It was passing away. It was fading away. This moment of suffering, this moment of the depravity of man would reap eternal benefits for all who would call on the name of the Lord. But it's not so with the wicked. Their eternal punishment will be that eternity. And they will be in despair and torment for eternity. The body doesn't die away at some point. They will suffer eternal judgment. You're here today and you're playing religious games If you're here today and you're lost in your sin, know this. Judgment is coming. And when you find yourselves in eternity in hell, the reality that God is no longer standing as your God and one that's calling you to his son, he is standing as one who will judge you for all eternity. You know, I really don't think that hell is the absence of God. I really think that hell is the fullness of God's fury against sin. I don't think that you could ever escape the presence of God. That's what David said. If I go to the depths of hell, you are there. I don't think you can ever fully escape the presence of God. I think what you will find in hell is his absolute fury, his absolute judgment against sin. And because you did not accept and receive the free gift of Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary, you will endure for eternity the judgment of that rejection. Yeah, Jesus. Jesus stood in the garden. He knelt in the garden in agony. And the reality of judgment was upon him. If you're lost today, the reality of judgment is upon you. If you're religious today, the reality of judgment is upon you. If you don't have relationship with God, the reality of judgment is upon you. It's coming. 
What does this mean? What does all this mean to us as believers? For us, it means that we are to know the ocean of God's love. For you and I, Christ came, became our sacrifice, became our propitiation, so that you and I can enjoy the ocean of this love. Paul said to the church of Ephesus in chapter 3, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened in might through His Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in. That you being rooted and grounded in love. May be able to comprehend with all the saints. What is the width, the length and the depth. To know the love of Christ which passes all knowledge. That you may be filled with all fullness of God. This love brings you into the fullness of God. You and I can step into the boundless ocean of His love. Every morning when we get up, you step into the ocean of His love and bathe in His love. Every day when you go through life's journey, you're bathing in the ocean of His love. When you get home at night and lay on your bed, you're meditating and resting in the gloriousness of His love. This love that endured the cross. This love that in the garden was portrayed in this agony and And in this despair, as he talked with his father, as he prayed with his father, and the father said, son, you're going to endure the cross, but it's for the joy set before you. There's a joy on the other side of this, because I'm sending the promise of the father. I'm sending to them the promise of my father. I'm sending upon them my precious presence. You might know his love, that the love of God might be shed abroad in your heart. This inexhaustible love. Our God is an unchanging God. His love is never changing. It's been, (laughs) yeah, his love has been chasing you down since the beginning of all things. He's had you in his mind. He told Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and I appointed you. His love's been pursuing you. And I'm telling you, you can't escape it. (laughs) You can't run from it. He's running after you with vengeance and a passion. It's why you're here today. It's why you're here today. It's why you're hearing this message. It's why God's grace is upon you that you've heard the message of truth today. It's that His love is pursuing you. Secondly, I know that because of Christ's suffering, when I face suffering, I know that He has provided for me endurance for that season. Christ faced The absolute pinnacle of the depravity of man endured the suffering. And so I know that when I face suffering, whether it's financial, whether it's physical, whether it's spiritual, whatever the case is, that I can endure because Christ has overcome. If Christ has overcome, if Christ has overcome the suffering, then I know that he will empower me and enable me to endure this hardship. In Psalms 23, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why Jesus walked through that valley himself, and he's still walking the valley today. 
He's still walking with people through the valley of death. He's still walking them through to the other side. And I tell you today, He's still walking you through your trial and your hardship. I don't care what you're facing today. I don't care what the situation is. The grace of God and the love of God that endured the hardship of the cross, that came through the hardship of the cross, that resurrected They're resurrected on the other side of that. That same Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And if He dwells in you, He shall quicken your mortal body. The same Spirit of God is in you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The chastisement of my peace was on Him. What do do I mean by that? He paid the price for your peace. This doesn't mean that you won't suffer. You absolutely will suffer. And you need to suffer. Y'all got quiet on me up in there. Y'all need to suffer. James said, count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. For they produce in your life patience. And patience having its perfect work will make you complete. You need to suffer. God help you when you listen to a preacher who tells you that you don't need to suffer. You and I need to suffer for the gospel. You and I need to suffer as Christ suffered and endure it as good soldiers in the army of the Lord. (laughs) And we can do that. How? Because he gives us peace. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. He paid for my peace. When I'm in the middle of that storm, when my boat's sinking and rocking by the waves and the winds, and I'm frantically nervous, moving all about the boat, Jesus, don't you care? Jesus is fast asleep on the middle of the boat. Why? Because he knows that he was on his way to the Calvary, and he knows that he didn't just someone take his life. He laid it down. And he knew on the other side of that cross, he was going to resurrect out of that tomb. And that same, why, why do I sell? Because that brings peace, knowing, knowing that you're going to go through this trial. And on the other side of that, you're getting out of that tomb. When you go through that trial, there is a destined end. God says that various trials in James, you'll face various trials for the testing and Uh, proving. The word testing is proving of your faith. To prove useful. Make your faith proved useful. If you never go through anything, your faith doesn't need to work. If everything's easy in life, you don't have to have faith. But the minute that you face trials or difficulties, the minute that you recognize that, oh my goodness, I have issues. (laughs) What a shock. I am imperfect. When you get a revelation of that, the peace of God comes. And I recognize I've been justified. It's not my righteousness. I don't have, I don't have to live in sin. I don't want to live in sin. I've been justified. I've been given freedom in Christ. Why would I want to go back to my pig slop? I can put on Christ. Why would I want to return to the vomit of yesterday when I can live with Christ? You all hear what I'm saying? The punishment of sin was upon him so that I could live free from condemnation and guilt. If you're carrying around condemnation today, there is, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why are you carrying around the weight of your sin when Christ paid and nailed it to the cross? Go take it to the cross and leave it there. 
Allow the Spirit of God to reveal to you the love of the Father that, in, that caused His Son to endure that hardship so that you don't have to. There's a difference, though. Let me say this. There is a difference between conviction and condemnation. If you are convicted about your sin, you need to respond with repentance. How many of you need to repent? You liar. Raise your hand. That's what the Bible says. You're a liar. To him who says they have no sin, the truth is not in them. All of us need to repent. Every day of our lives, we need to repent. <laughs> There's something. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. It's not a place of judgment to repent and say, God, I need your help. You see, when you recognize you've been justified by this loving God who endured all of this for you, all of a sudden, you don't come under the condemnation and the guilt of how horrible of a wretched person you are, even though you really are. All of a sudden, you realize this filthy, ugly thing's been justified by God. <laughs> I don't need to carry this. I don't need to walk under condemnation. Why do I need? I, Lord, I repent. You know what? I am, I'm a filthy, ugly thing. You're right. I am so sorry. I repent. Lord, change me. Transform me. All of a sudden, when the preacher looks at you and says, you filthy, ugly thing, you don't get offended anymore because you've, you've recognized, I need justified just like the drug addict down the street. I need the grace of God just like the prostitute up the road. I'm no better, no worse. We're all sinners at the foot of the cross. And so, okay, Jesus, here I am again. I'm in need, Lord. <laughs> when, when did we get this idea that we're better than everybody else? And we wouldn't, we wouldn't dare say that. But we say it in our actions. We say it. We, oh, Lord. Go ahead. <laughs> Just buckle your seatbelt if you haven't already. We say it. We say it when we're at night of hope. And we see the hurting and the broken. We say, you know, I'm just, I'm just getting very real. I'm just being very practical right now. You know, I'd rather be a part of a sophisticated church. That, I don't like how they smell or how they look. Come on. We say it when, when there's an altar call for, do you need more of the Lord? But we don't want to go because, oh my goodness, if I fall on the floor, what will people think? Come on. Oh, giving in the offering? I don't do that. I just tip God. Come on. I'll give when I have the means. Has anybody gotten the fires lapping up around their feet right now? We do that. And it is, it is an example of our arrogance towards the cross. But when we humble ourselves and we say, Lord, I'm a mess. <laughs> I'm a mess. I don't know how. And I say this all the time. Lord, I don't know how to pastor. I need your help. I, don't, yeah, I need to pastor these people how you want me to pastor these people. They're not mine. They're yours. So, Lord, teach me. Show me what you want to do. Anybody hear what I'm saying? I'm just the confessions of a preacher this morning. Lord, I, I, don't know how to, I don't know how to love my wife, how she needs to be loved, but you do. So help me. 
Help me, Jesus. I don't know how to love my, my child as they need to be loved. So I need your help. Show me, Lord. Oh, you want me to give more than 10%? <laughs> oh, I don't know how to do that. Lord, help me. I barely know how to do the 10. Lord, help me. Help me, Jesus. Anybody hear what I'm saying this morning? <laughs> Praise him. Praise him. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your glory. Lord, we thank you that you display your incredible glory in the redemption of fallen man. Lord, we thank you that you have redeemed us, that you have chosen us, that you have called us, that you have foreordained us, that Christ came to become my sacrifice, that Christ came, took my place on the cross, that I don't have to go into the furnace of your judgment, that I I could step in to the <laughs> oh hallelujah <laughs> I could step in to the realities of heaven I could step into the goodness of my God I could step in even now I could step in because you've restored me you've sanctified me you're sanctifying me you've justified me you've redeemed me hallelujah 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 Hallelujah. <laughs> Giving praise in the house of God. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo. What about you, friend? <laughs> How is it with your soul? How is it with your soul today? Why don't you stand with me? Why don't you stand with me? How is it with your soul today? Where are you with the Lord today? Where are you with the Lord today? Yeah, and recognizing the judgment of God, recognizing the judgment that was upon Christ. You and I ought to be aroused out of our stupor, out of our stupor, out of the, out of the stupor of religious Christianity, out of our stupor, out of our stupor of sin. How is it with you and Jesus today? Have you come to the cross of Christ and said, Jesus, I need you? Have you come to the cross of Christ and said, Jesus, I need you? Are you living? Are you living with Jesus? You know, people say, are you living for him? He doesn't need your vote. Are you living with him? He doesn't need your seal of approval by coming to an altar and praying a prayer. He's asking you to live with him. is it with your soul today? Every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to give you an opportunity before you leave today to settle it with your soul between you and the Lord. Jesus has become your high priest today. You don't have to go. Because of his death and resurrection, you do not have to go to a man to get atonement. Jesus is your high priest. He has made atonement for you. He is standing ready right now before this Father. He's praying for you. He's praying for you right now. Interceding for your behalf is what that means. He's interceding. He's praying for you. How is it with your soul? If you're here today and you're away from God, you would say, I want to get things settled in my life today with Jesus. Would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Anyone this morning? God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else this morning? God bless you. Anyone else this morning? I need to settle things with the Lord today. Anyone else this morning? Anyone else this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Here's what we're going to do. We have leaders who want to come and pray with you. See, we're a family. We're a family here. And so this isn't about you just coming down to an altar and walking out the same way you came in. I want you to come. And we have leaders that want to come and pray with you and help you become part of the family of God. And if needed, become part of our family. So Grace is going to sing this song, Come Unto Jesus. And that's what you're doing today. If you raised your hand, maybe you didn't raise your hand, and you would say, I need to come as well. I need to join them, and I need to to settle things in my soul today with the Lord. I need to settle things with the Lord today. Maybe you didn't raise your hand. You come. You come. Thank you, Jesus. Come unto Jesus. Come today. Come to the Lord. If you raised your hand, you come. You raised your hand, come. You did raise your hand, come. You did raise your hand, you come. I'm going to ask our leaders to come and join them. for me that you rose again I believe that you are forgiving me of my sins right now I receive you as my Lord and my Savior in your name Amen Amen. Hallelujah give me praise give me praise Lord we rejoice with the angels of heaven today tell you something. Those of you that at the altar, our leaders are going to pray with you and minister with you, and you can you can do that, leaders, at this time. You can minister. But those of you at your seat, i got to tell you something. First off, you need to bring the lost to church. <laughs> that's that's the first thing. That's, that's, that's important. You want to know how to grow a church? Bring the lost. Bring the lost. 
we have fish are jumping in the boat from Night of Hope. I'm telling you, fish are jumping in the boat. You need to be there. It's awesome. We have people that show up on our doorstep asking how to be born again at the church office. They show up at the doors asking how to be born again. It's happening. You just need to engage. It's happening. You just need to get in it. It's your choice to step in. And then the other thought on that, we need help discipling people. And a great way to do that is through small groups. You don't have to be an educated teacher to teach a small group. You just need to be willing to share your experience with others. You need to be willing to tell them about Jesus. If you're in it, Rick, why don't you come up here? If you're interested in being a part of that, Rick, Rick and Tam are a part of our church. They're an awesome blessing. Tamara serves in children's ministry and such, but Rick is helping us develop our small groups here. So if you, if you're interested in that, see Rick. He's a great guy. They've been in, they've been in and around ministry for many, many years and have lots of experience. So make sure you see them. Thanks, Rick. If you're interested in helping with a small group, maybe you don't know where to start, he'll help you get started. If you get in a Sunday school class, those of you that responded today, get water baptized. We do it once a quarter. We'll baptize you sooner if you want to be. That's fine. Get water baptized. Get in a small group. Don't make excuses. Don't make excuses. Walk with Jesus. Father, I thank you for my friends and family today. Lord, that you'd bless them. Lord, that you would use them. Lord, that you'd use them for your kingdom. Lord, that they would see the, through Father's eyes, they would see through your Father's eyes the lost and the broken around us. Lord, that we won't take for granted the power that you've placed on our life, the forgiveness that you've given us. We won't take it for granted, Lord. if you just lift your hands at your seats with me. Just lift your hands. Lord, I, I want to pray for you. I want to bless you as you go. Lord, let your anointing fall fresh. Let your anointing fall fresh on our people this morning. Fresh, fresh, fresh anointing, fresh anointing, fresh presence of the Lord, fresh awareness of your goodness, more Lord, more Lord, fresh from heaven, yeah, pouring down his oil on you, yeah, he's pouring down his oil on you this morning, hallelujah, hallelujah, more, healing touch, in Jesus' name, thank you Lord, thank you Lord, give me praise as you go, God bless you. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so awesome.